You're listening to Modded. And today we're talking to Jonathan Liu. So Jonathan, I saw your S2000 at a meet that Steven was holding and I, I was in love with it. I was like, man, this thing really stands out. Uh, it's got an amuse kit on it, am I right? No, it's got custom work, I remember that. Yeah, it's, it's custom. a bunch of stuff. Bunch of stuff bunch on of there. Stuff. But we'll get into that. Yeah, I, know. Um, I followed you on Instagram. I saw that you have your Forester that you take it to the track and I thought to myself, this guy is super interesting. I need to know more and I think people that listen to the podcast would really like to get to know you. So um, let's start with where you're from, um, how cars came into your life, and where you went from there. Yeah, um, so born and raised in Northridge, California. So it's just, uh, say like 30, 40 minutes north of LA. Um, I actually started having an interest in cars when I was really young, actually. Uh, I think um, the first intro was my uncle when I was in Taiwan. I visited him in Taiwan, I was like four or five years old. And he's actually, he was the lead mechanic for Taiwan's president's airplane. He, um, he did test flights for Boeing 747s when they first came out oh, wow. in Washington, where Boeing's like stationed. Yeah, in the Seattle. Was yeah, Seattle. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he was really mechanical, like super mechanical, like really handy. And so he would take me out on his scooter and I used to be able to visit the airports there and like walk onto the airplanes and check out all the stuff. I still have pictures and stuff. And that was kind of like my first intro to mechanical things and like the world of like uh, engines and like moving stuff. I, like I just had a fascination towards it. And ever since, I've always asked my mom for books that have like cars on it, you know, or like airplanes or tanks or stuff like that. And then fast forward a couple of years, you know, going through school and whatnot. And then, you know, as you get older, I, I remember I was like nine or 10. It was the year 1999. And my family has always had Hondas. And my dad, he's not much of a car guy, but you know, it's, 1999, what else is there to do? The LA car show was around. Mm -hmm. So as a family thing, we used to go to the LA car show and I remember him taking me at nine years old, we were at the Honda booth and the S2000 was there. They had just released it, right? It was like the newest sports car Honda just came out in 1999. And I remember getting lost at the car show. Like, I just left my parents because I was just so into all the cars there. And like, the next thing you know, I looked around, I was like, uh-oh, where's my parents at? And like, I didn't care. I was in the place I loved. And I remember hearing the intercom. Uh, we're looking for a little kid, Jonathan Liu, he's Asian this tall. And I was like, Oh my god, is that me? <laughs> and then I don't remember, somehow they found me. And they're like, oh my god, where'd you go? And I was like, I was looking at the cars. And I remember my dad got mad at me. He was like, what were you looking at? How come you didn't tell me? And I told him, I was like, Dad, I want to look at the S2000. So he took me over to the S2000. And I remember sitting in the passenger seat. I wasn't even in the driver's seat. 
sat on the passenger seat. I looked at my dad. I said, Dad, I want this car. He was like, yeah, yeah, when you get old enough, you can buy it yourself. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, gotcha. And then, uh, well, you know, you just kind of, you know, go home and like it's your dream car, you buy posters of it and whatnot. So I had posters of S2000. I had little die cast model cars and whatnot. Fast forward to high school, you know, I begged my dad to get me my license. Like I was like, dad, I'm 15 and a half. You know, that was like the age, right? Mm -hmm. Like you right when you could permit. start, yeah, yeah, permit. I was like, yo, it's time. Like I waited, I counted the days like, dad, it's time to get my permit. And he had already let me drive kind of like in the neighborhood and like oh, steer the car when he's like on the pedals. And like, I was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. And uh, I got my permit and I asked my dad, I was like, dad, what car can you, can I get, you know? Cause I was like, I wasn't gonna go for my own car. I didn't drive. My mom made me go to school a lot. Like I was like, uh, you know how like in Asian culture, there's the tiger moms. Mm -hmm. and the moms are like super like strict and like the kid has to just like study. And then there's like cello, there's orchestra, there's tennis. Science Olympiad, uh, English tutor, math tutor. I had it all. I didn't have any time for anything but school and like sports and stuff. And um, I remember like squeezing in, I got my license and everything. And I felt like that was like the best feeling in the world when you got your license. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, you're free. I could drive anywhere I want without my parents. Are you kidding me? That's like the best feeling in the world. Um, and so like I started driving. They didn't let me have a car yet and they didn't um, let me drive to school. But I was, you know, driving after school and stuff like that. I went out to hang out with some friends. And then um, I remember my sister, I have an older sister. She had a Scion TC. The first gen ones, mm -hmm. like a 2007 or whatever. And my dad was like, oh, your sister, um, she's going off to college. So, here. And it's automatic. I was like, I'll take it. You know, a car was a car, right? <laughs> car was a car. So I had a 2007, technically that's my first car, I guess. It was a 2007 Scion TC. We got it in 2006, I was 16. My sister drove it for a little bit. I got it when I was like 17 and a half. And that's when um, I started asking my dad, I was like, hey dad, I wanna start working on cars. Like, you know, in the garage. Cause my parents had a pretty decent home. It was like a three car garage. And um, I was like, come on, we're not using the spot. Like, let me have like the extra bay, you know, let me put my tools there and whatnot. And with a lot of arguments between him and my mom, because my mom thought, well, why? He's going to school. He's going to go to college. He's going to, you know, not have to work on cars to make money. Because that was her, like, thought. She thought that, I guess, in her mentality, working on cars is what we call, um, like, in Chinese, the literal translation, it might not sound good, but it's like black hand work because your hands get dirty. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't make much money from it and like, how are you supposed to survive? So she was like, why do you want to do that? So it was like this whole huge argument. 
And my dad was like, just let him, you know, like, he just, he's just exploring. He's trying to figure out what he wants to do. And so eventually my mom caved, my dad took me to Lowe's. I think it was Lowe's, yeah, Lowe's. And I was looking at the shiny toolboxes, you know, cobalt. That was the one, cobalt. And I, I told my dad, I want the biggest one, you know, it was like a thousand bucks. My dad was like, you're crazy, I'm not going to do that. So he compromised and he got me like a $500 tool chest, like those skinny ones. Mm -hmm. And it had like some starter tools in it. And I was all happy. Like I spent like the whole week like taking them all apart, organizing every single one. Like I went to Sears. Like back then there was no like, how did I find a Snap-on truck, you know? There was no way. Like I had Sears, Home Depot, and Lowe's. Mm -hmm. My first torque wrench was the cobalt torque wrench that I got. Anyways, I did all that and finally I got my first tool set and my dad, uh, my dad didn't like hang out in the garage with me. Like he wasn't like that kind of a person. He just let me do my own thing. He was like, you learn how to do it, right? You're going to be safe about it, right? And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. We got a jack and everything, jack stands. And at the time I had made a friend in high school that was modifying, like he, his dad gave him a 1990 Honda Accord Coupe, CV7. And he had done an H22 swap in it with his dad. And I was like, your dad let you do this with you? Like, what kind of dad do you have? What, you know, and I started becoming friends with him and he was like my best friend in high school. So when I had the TC, the first couple mods I did was, uh, I bought, I don't know if you heard of it, drag wheels. Yes. from Tire Rack. Yeah, Tire Rack had a special. I was like, okay, I'm gonna buy these wheels. I saved up some money. So my TC was that grayish blue. Mm -hmm. I thought it was so hot to get gold mesh drag wheels with the machine lift. <laughs> and I was like, this is so badass. I bought BF Goodrich tires. I was like, all right, this thing's looking a little high. So the next thing I bought was, uh, I worked on suspension. I was like, I was trying to do things right, you know, because my friend, he was a Honda guy. So he taught me all about, like, good suspension work, good, you know, handling goes a long way before you do, like, any power mods. So I was like, okay, okay, I'm going I'm to do it right. So I did wheels and tires. I got uh, Progress Springs. Progress. There was some, like, old company. And then eventually, um, I wanted like a manual car, you know, because I was like, man, this is, this is embarrassing to say, but I drove the TC, you know how it's like D, three, two, one, mm -hmm. or three, two, L. Would you shift when you were? I would be at a green, a red light, be at L, right? And then I would like, it's green, and I like hesitate, and I push it to two, and then like I hesitate, I push it to three, and I'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm super cool, right? And I race people. I thought I was the coolest shit. <laughs> so I was like, man, this, something's lacking, dude. I need a, I, like, I didn't know how to drive stick either, right? This is my, like, intro. Like, I kind of drew my friend's, I drove my friend's car, because his was the H22 swap. I kind of drove it here and there, and he kind of taught me how to drive it. And he was like, hey, um, why don't we build a car together? He was like a junior and I was a sophomore. 
in high school. And I was like, all right. So like, we kind of came up with a plan, what car we wanted and whatnot. And like one day I told my dad, I was like, hey dad, what do you think about this uh, joint car thing? And at the time I went to his house a lot and my dad met his dad. And like, they like, they were cool. And my dad was like all cool with them. He was like, oh yeah. He learned that they did everything right by the book. So he felt comfortable for me going to their house and like working on cars all the time. So that was kind of like, I want to say like my second dad, I would say, that taught me everything about cars. Because mm -hmm. my dad wasn't into it, but he, he kind of saw that I was into it and wanted me to grow with something that I liked. You know, he didn't want to force me to do something I didn't like doing. Um, and so we bought a Honda, a 1989 Honda CRX HF model white. Own stock with cut springs. And it passed smog in LA at the time. So that was, that was one thing that, and at the time it was like what, 2007, 2008-ish when we bought it, I bought it for 2,100 bucks. What are they now? Oh, there's more than 2,100 bucks. <laughs> They're like 8,000 for CRX. Clean CRX, I yeah. can't believe it. Oh my gosh, I, I was like, oh my God, I wish I still kept it, you know? But yeah, we had bought the CRX and that was like where I dumped all of my money into. I bought bucket seats, we gutted it. This was gonna be our track car. We split everything down the middle um, and eventually, we pulled the H22 out of his CB7 and threw it into the CRX. And we put his old stock motor back into his car. And we started racing the CRX around like Moholland, Angeles Crest. I think one of the first track events that I went to was hosted by uh, Extreme Speed. It was like a really old. It was like way, like 15 years ago. It was one of the first ones. Before all these little track organizations came about, it was like one of the first ones. And we had gone out to Willow Springs with the CRX. And that was like my first, I had practiced driving stick in the canyons and all that stuff. So I was like ready. I was ready to go. My first lap, I got too like nervous and I spun out because the tires weren't warm enough. Mm. <laughs> I got, I got too ahead of myself. But that was like my first experience. I was like 18 at the track with a home-built CRX H22 swap. So that was like, um, like my shining moment back then. But outside of that, the car made it home. No yeah, issues. outside of that, the car made it home. No issues. No breaking down. No breaking down. It ran like a beast. Um, I had spent like, I want to say maybe ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 back then mm -hmm. of my own hard-earned money um, working like summer jobs and whatnot. Into that car, I bought like, it had a, it had an Integra DA rear trailing arm uh, disc brake swap. Integra, uh, Acura Legend calipers in the front on 1994 Civic EX knuckles and hubs. So it was like a full on Frankenstein. 
I had gone to the junkyard a lot back then. A lot, um, that's where I got a lot of my parts. Uh, pick your part in Sun Valley. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and my friend, my friend that... Um, Wait, was that the pick your part that they had the logo with the octopus? The octopus. That's the, right. the OG Damn. one right off the five. I remember that, yeah. That was the spot. And, um, you know, bring your own tools, right? And then... You just take what you need and then you go to the end and they're like, 50 bucks. You're like, that's it. You know, I just bought, I bought, I remember it was two full complete rear trailing arms with e-brake cables for $50, dude. Back then, man. Back then was nice. Car prices were amazing. And um, yeah, uh, so I learned a lot about cars already in like my high school time like 16 17 18 and then uh when i graduated college or sorry high school i or in high school i wanted to become i decided i wanted to become a mechanical engineer mm -hmm. because of all this car stuff right i was like how do they make this you know i want to be able to make this stuff when i grow up like i don't want to buy stuff anymore like and then like kind of when i was like 18, I was kind of cocky. I was like, man, these parts suck. I can make something better, you know? So that's kind of what drove me into this field of mechanical engineering and like parts, parts design. Yeah, I'm also a mechanical engineer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, that's kind of where it all started. And uh, I went to UC San Diego. Same here, I didn't even know that. Did we go the same years? Did we go the same years? I went in 09. Where was I there? I uh, graduated in 2007, 08 to 09. Yeah, 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 we would have been there at the same time. Yeah, we Did might you have graduate 2012? Yeah. Yeah, then we graduated the same class. What the heck? I didn't even know. Do we have the same classes? <laughs> we probably had the same professors We probably had then. the same professors yeah. then. Do you have Bahadori? Yes. Nemora. Nemora, yeah. Yeah. Damn, dude, I didn't even know. I thermo, dude. Thermo was I terrible. Hated. This is an aside. I'll tell you this story. This this, this is gonna be, I'll, I'll include this in there, but this is a funny story. So Namura, for people that don't know, thermodynamics teacher at UC San Diego, and she was a monster. She was a beast as far as lectures. She just did everything by memory. She was smart, but she was really brutal when it came to her midterms. And people felt, students felt that she wasn't doing a good enough job during the lecture explaining things and we had brutal homework and that thermodynamics homework was insanely long. I mean hours and hours and hours I was spent on it. So one day we got a midterm back and I remember people were leaving, some people were going down to the bottom and asking her questions about the grading to explain, right? And one kid stood up as everybody was leaving and was like, why don't you try teaching better next time? Yelled it to her from the middle of the auditorium and everybody heard it because a couple people had gone, so it's quiet, and she just like stood there, didn't acknowledge it. She didn't, she heard it, of course, because everybody yeah. heard it. Yeah, and it was like, it was tough, and it was multiple professors that had that kind of thing happen to them when I was there, because people were dissatisfied with how they were teaching. Yeah. I never had that happen, but I was, I did have a hard time. Mm -hmm. I will say this, it was hell. Yeah, oh yeah, people don't know that, they're like engineering, UC San Diego, mechanical engineering, brutal. I mean, there were times I was up till three or four, not even because I'm lagging, it's just because that's that much work. It, it was, was it, it was work. I had, I had pages of homework, dude. Yeah. Like, like I could have started my own paper company. Yeah. So props to you, props to anybody listening 
that went through that. It's tough, man. It was it was hell, and you made it through. It was hell, dude. Oh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Back to cars. Yeah, back to cars. Yeah. Um, at San Diego, my parents didn't let me have my car because they're like, "Well, you had to pay for parking." Yeah. One, right? Oh my god, like seven hundred dollars yeah, a year, right? And yeah. like we were already paying like, was it ten thousand? Too much. Too right. Too much. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. So my parents were like, "No," and I didn't have any scholarships. Yeah. Like, I was an Asian male. I was competing against. All the other Asian males that were trying to get into college at the time, dude. Like, I wanted to go to USC, and I got rejected. I got rejected from UCLA. Mm -hmm. You know, I had like, I was I was top fifty in my class, and I had like a three point eight with a twenty two ninety SAT score. That's insane. And I didn't get into USC, dude. Did you get into Berkeley? No. <laughs> That's another topic. That's another one. It was tough, but I mean, the school was, I remember it was, uh, like 33% Asian, 33% white, and then 33% everybody else. And I was part of like that maybe three to 5% Hispanic. That was it. Yeah. And then yeah. I had a Hispanic homie in my graduating class that gone to Stanford and like all that stuff. And he went to Stanford. He ended up going, um, but he, he was a good student too. I wasn't saying he wasn't, but mm -hmm. like it was because of what did they call that back then? Where they had to like allow the my other like, yeah, it was like affirmative action. That's what it was, yeah. affirmative action, which and is like, what they're suing for now. They're suing Harvard and all the yeah. Ivy Leagues. Of I got that. kicked out. I couldn't get accepted because there are too many Asian males that were applying, mm -hmm. and like they could only accept like you know. Anyways, um, so I didn't. Uh, my parents allowed me to get my car when I moved off campus, which was third year. Third year, I moved out of campus, and so I brought my I brought the TC, and that's when I was introduced to the world of credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I was a fresh, you know. I had I had I'm a student, and like credit card companies like to poach you at that age, and so I got a letter in the mail. This was before Affirm, mm -hmm. before Snap, before anything, all that stuff that we got today. This is straight up Bank of America sending you a college credit card. Open account, you get you know, a nice little credit limit. So I opened one against my better judgment, and they're like, here's five G's. Five G's, ooh. So I started looking at stuff for the TC, dude. Uh. I bought Airlift Air Ride back in 2010, 2009, 2010 from my silent TC. That was when Stance Nation was hot. When people were stancing their cars out. Mad Camber. Um, that was when that shop down in San Diego was really big. They're still really big now. Auto fashion. Yeah, still big, still going. I remember auto fashion was one of the first ones on the West Coast doing bagged VIP cars. Mm -hmm. Like the big body Lexuses, and they're all running. Air Runner. Air Runner. 
That was the one back then. Mm-hmm. Before airlift, before AccuWear, uh, bag riders and all that stuff. You could only get your stuff Japan catalog. Airlift, dude. And like, it was like a mystery to people how air ride stuff worked back then. They're like, air ride, oh my god, like what? And only, really, only auto fashion was like forging that path back then, on the, at least on the West Coast. And so I had taken a day to drive to auto fashion with my TC. I had gotten all my parts in the mail. I bought it off Bag Riders, actually, <laughs> when they first opened. And I was like, super stoked. I had all the stuff, dude. I drove it. I called them. I was like, hey, can you guys, you know, uh, install stuff? And they're like, yeah, bring it down. We'll take a look. So I went over there, and I talked to Freddie. I think he's still there. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's still there. Freddie, right? He's the biggest, biggest big, big dog, right? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me. He's like, sign on TC. <laughs> I was like, yeah, dude. Like, I want to be the first one, you know? There was one guy already on the East Coast that had done a bagged sign on TC. I was the second one, I think, in the United States to have a bagged TC West Coast. And um, Freddie had done the install for me. I had bought, it was a Frankenstein setup. It was Airlift V2 controller. Yep. The silver box that had the buttons. And I had paired it with an AccuWare VU4. Because I was like, the, the airlift uh, manifold junk. It was the individual ones back then. It wasn't like the, the block that mm-hmm. they have now. And AccuWare had just come out with the block. So I was like, cool. And someone figured out how to wire it up. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. So I had like a, it was with AccuWare, the EXO mounts too. And I told Freddie, I said, Freddie, I don't want this in my trunk. I don't want a wood trunk set. I can't afford that. He was like, oh, okay. I was like, I bought all the mounts. All you gotta do is just install it for me. Cause I, I can't take this home and show my dad cause he's gonna kill me. <laughs> And he was like, but what happens when you go home? And like, you know, I was like, I'm just not gonna air it out. He was like, oh, okay, smart. <laughs> so he ended up, in, I had removed my, um, I had like a custom exhaust system, so the rear muffler was gone. And, it, and my exhaust actually ended at the center of my car. I had like a turn down. So he mounted the whole setup underneath my trunk where the stock muffler sat. And you could like barely see the bottom of the compressor mount from, you know, behind the car. So everything was nice and tugged and like super stealth. I had all my trunk space because, you know, living in San Diego, I would drive back and forth. I would carry a lot of stuff. So I needed trunk space. So I made do with what I had. So one day, oh, he finished the install. I picked it up. I was like, damn, this is sick. And I had... What, the drag wheels were 18 by 8? 18 by 8 and a half or something? And I was like tucking, like half of the wheel was tucked, dude. I was like, all right, we got to work on fitment now. So it was like winter break or something. I had driven home. 
And I thought, like, all air ride, no matter how good you do, there's no leaks. My dumbass, I had gone to Taiwan for like three weeks for winter break, parked my car in my dad's garage. My dad didn't go with me, he stayed at home. He called me one day when I was in Taiwan, he was like, hey, um, your car's getting lower. <laughs> I said, what? What are you talking about? He's like, why is your car on the ground now? I was like, send me a picture. I was still trying to play it off cool. Like, like, I didn't know what the hell's going on. He was like, what did you do to your car? And I finally, I finally came. I had to tell him. I couldn't, I couldn't hide it anymore. I was like, I put air right on the car. He didn't know what I meant. He was like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, air ride. Like the car goes up and down. He was like, you're stupid. He didn't believe me. I got home because I guess he needed to move the car or something, but he, he got like scared or something. I got home, I moved the car, and he was like, at first I couldn't tell if he was like mad at me or if he was like, like surprised at what just happened to the car. He didn't know how to, and I was like, you yell at me right now? I was like about to hide, you know? Eventually he was like, You spend too much on your car. And I was like, yeah, I know. And, you know, it's not going to stop, Dad. And, like, that's when, like, the, it's the father and son talk where, what do you want to do with your life, you know? You, you're going to keep doing this stuff. You know, you got to think about house. You got to think about family. And it's, you know, we all hear it, right? As car dudes, we hear yeah. it from our family, our, our parents, our friends. I still hear it from my mom. You still hear it from your mom. It's like, when are you going to stop? My dad just came over today, actually. <laughs> he, he's like, you got two motorcycles? I was like, they're scooters, dad. They're not motorcycles. <laughs> he's still like, he's, he's happy with where I've gone to. Um, but that, yeah, we'll get to that. But yeah, and uh, so yeah, I had the first sign on TC. Um, my mom was super upset. My dad was kind of upset, but kind of surprised that I was able to get it done. He was like, damn, you, you kind of really know what you're doing. Um, and when he saw the CRX too, and he saw I was building all that, he was like, all right, this kid kind of has a knack for this kind of stuff. Um, and when I told my parents I wanted to do mechanical engineering, they were like, okay, maybe these two things will like kind of fall into place. And, um, fast forward, the CRX, sad story. Um, me and my friend got into it, or ex-friend, I guess you would say now. Uh, that's a really long story, but you know how sometimes when you do things with your friends, uh, things are going great, but you guys have different outlooks and different paths and whatnot, you guys grow up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I ended up just, was like, forget it, dude, you can have the car. Sucks on my part because I should have, honestly, should have kept it. But, but uh, I just didn't want to deal with the whole drama and whatnot. So I ended up just like walking away from from it all. Yeah, and sometimes that's the best step. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it's it's 
it was an experience, right? We got to, I got to build a super cool go-kart when I was like 16, 17, 18. Um, got to track when I was super young. Not many people get to do that. Um, I was, you know, I have to give a lot to, I still give a lot of credit to him and his dad for like kind of spending their time with me when I wanted to be there and work on cars, even though we got into it. Uh, now, you know, in the future, no hard feelings, honestly. Whatever it was, like, if I see him again, I hope we could still be friends. Maybe he has the CRX, you know, we could talk about it then and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was an experience in itself. Um, so I graduated from San Diego. I moved back to my parents' house because I didn't really find a job that I wanted to do. Uh, I had a little bit of a tough time because I didn't really want to work for somebody. I didn't want to do research work, uh, lab work. Oh, I hated it. I hated it so much. Tedious. Yeah. Yeah. Because when we were going through school, that was what we had to do. Mm -hmm. That was our homework. Lab reports. Um, oh my God, lab reports. Oh my God. <laughs> Just <laughs> thinking about it. And so gradu after graduating, that wasn't something I wanted to do. Like I didn't want to work for an engineering firm to do desk work. I want to be hands-on. I want to build cars the way I wanted to build cars. So I kind of searched some shops around my house that kind of did custom work. And at the time, there's not as many as there are now, mm -hmm. you know, back then it was just a few places that you kind of know through like magazines or TV. And, uh, you know, I stumbled upon Galpin Autosports, Galpin or get it at Galpin, you know, the biggest Ford dealership down in Van Nuys. And I remember watching MTV watching Pimp My Ride and seeing how gas, Galpin Autosports, gas picked them up and they're now filming that there and they're building all these custom rides, all this cool and fun stuff. So one day I literally polished up my resume and I, I saw a job listing on their website actually. It was on galpinautosports.com. They were looking for someone to hire to do um, just like shop work in the back. And I had submitted my resume and I was like, you know what, I got some time. Let me just drive over there. And I brought my resume and I walked in there and I was like, damn, this shop is cool. And uh, I talked to the general manager at the time, Gary. And I was like, hey Gary, I just submitted my resume online. I was in the area and I just thought I'd drop by and hand you a physical copy, you know? And I just wanted to see the place and, and to be excited about the, the job. And we talked for a little bit and he's like, oh yeah, very cool. Um, I'll get back to you. So I left. I, you know, I kind of looked in the showroom a little bit. He didn't offer me to go in because I guess he was busy. And I was like, damn, look at all those. Like, they had a bunch of supercars. You know, they have a lot of old 67 Mustangs, Shelbys and all this stuff. I was like, damn, what a place to work, right? 
So I go home, and I think nothing of it. I'm like, oh, okay, I wish I could get this job. Literally, like, four hours later, I get a call from Mad Mike. The guy that did all the electrical wiring on MTV Pimp My Ride. He's like, hey, this is Mad Mike from uh, Captain R Sports. This is Jonathan? I'm like, yeah, this is Jonathan. He's like, hey, uh, I saw your resume here. Gary handed it to me. When when can you come in for an interview? I was like, tomorrow? He's like, sure, come on in tomorrow. I literally went the next day, put on a nice little suit, and uh, sat down in the office, and he asked me, like, what I did, and, like, where I came from, and all the stuff that I, and, like, you know, how, why I want to do car work. And uh, what's funny is, back then, I was trying to be like all fancy because I had just graduated. So I had made like a PowerPoint. I had like pulled up all these pictures from like the UCSD, projects, yeah, the yeah. projects, my car, the CRX, the air ride. And he was looking at the PowerPoint on an iPad. I had brought an iPad, like one of the first iPads. And I brought it and he was like, you prepared all this? I was like, yeah, I want to get the job. <laughs> and you were training it like an engineering interview. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's what people were doing back then. Right. I, mean, I had that same setup too. And I was always told whenever you go out to an interview, especially for an engineering company, have something they can hold in their hand because that gives a leg up to you. Yep. They can see it, they can touch it. Yep. And that's and that exactly was was in my mind the entire time, like going up to it. I was like, okay, like I, I want to knock it out of the park. You know, I don't know who I'm up against. Like maybe there's a lot of other qualified people. And, and uh, he was just blown away by it. He was like, you can do all this? He was, I was like, yeah, like, AutoCast, SolidWorks, like, taught me all this in school. And I was pretty naive at the time. I didn't really know what I was worth. Um, so he was like, yeah, you're hired. And they started me at $12.50. God damn, dude. Minimal wage, or like just above minimum, because minimum was like $10. So it was $12.50 hourly. Clock in, clock out. And I remember one of my first tasks to do was to sort the nuts and bolts. Like nuts and bolts that they collected from the floor. And like... I was like, you want me to do what, dude? I'm here upon trying to make car parts. And you have me sorting sorting nuts and bolts, dude. And like, I got super discouraged the first like week or so. But like, I was like, you know what? No, no. Like, I got to pay my dues. This is shop life, right? You got to pay your dues. You got to be the shop janitor, technically. You got to get people this. Like, you got to know the tools and all that stuff. So I put my, I put my head down and I did it. They eventually graduated me up to like um, removing vinyl and like old wraps. Oh my god, dude! That was a terrible job too. My fingers were in pain. Like, you know, you're scraping away at the vinyl and stuff like that. That was like a terrible job. Eventually, Mad Mike was like, alright, let me see what you can really do. So he taught me how to run the vinyl printer. 
like the large format vinyl mm -hmm. printer it prints like rolls for um, commercial wraps and stuff like that. He taught me how to use that. He taught me how to use the large format laminator to laminate it and the big plotter to cut out all the stuff. And then he taught me how to use the laser, which I kind of already knew how to use the laser from San Diego because they had the big, huge one in the lab. Yeah. And so I told him, I was like, no, no, I already know how. And then like, he's like, oh yeah, let me see. So I showed him some stuff. He's like, no shit, okay, all right. And so I started becoming the guy that ran the laser and the vinyl printer and the sticker machine. Eventually, he taught me how to use the water jet. It was a gigantic water jet in the back shop. And um, so he, when Man Mike was doing all the stuff, before I came along, he was the one that did all the stuff. So he's actually really smart. He like knows a lot about everything. And, um, but he, he only used like uh, basic programs back then. It wasn't like AutoCAD or like um, SOLIDWORKS and whatnot. So I brought my laptop and I started catting like parts for them. He was like, what the heck are you doing? And I was like, you guys needed parts, right? I was like, I thought I'd just make this and make your life easier. He was like, and so I started running the water jet by myself, running everything by myself. It got to the point where the guys that were fabricating all the custom cars in the back, they, were, they would just make a cardboard stencil. And at the, like, when I walked into my office, I would have like a stack of stencils. I would have to digitize and then cut out parts on the water jet or laser or whatever. And like, I learned how to use the brake to bend parts. I learned how to use, I even learned how to TIG weld there, MIG weld, a bunch of stuff, just shop life in general. I learned all of it there. So I give a lot of credit, a lot of my knowledge, a lot of my car growth to Galpin Autosports. Um, even though I started at 1250, they eventually bumped me up to 2250. Like that was my pay jump. It was crazy. I was at 1250 for like two whole years. Damn. And I told Mike one day, I was like, Mike, dude, like, come on, dude. He was like, no, I know. And I guess he has been going to bat for me for a very long time. And so he got me my $10 pay raise. That's a huge jump. Huge jump. Yeah. It was like 50, you know? And so... It's what you should have been getting from the jump. From the jump. Yeah. And uh, then... I eventually, I guess they changed the system to where it's, um, instead of clocking in it, it's by job. So we're doing like jobs. So I started to be able to clock in like, I was starting to make like 30 to $35 an hour because I was doing really fast work. And so I was at Galpin Auto Sports for like four years. We did SEMA all four years. Um, there'd be nights where we'd be up SEMA crunch, obviously. It would be October. The month of October was hell. We had 20 cars, all undone, and they all had to be finished. So literally the shop stayed up. I remember being at the shop from 9 a.m. till 4 a.m. I'd go home, 
shower, take a nap, and come back to the shop. Like, we had sponsors, we had people with, like, they, Galpin spent, like, a million dollars every SEMA, I think, to have, like, the biggest booth outside, and, like, so things had to get done. It's basically, like, where Toyo is today, yeah. like, that level. Yeah. And, uh, so working at Galpin was definitely an experience. Um, a lot of the car stuff, a lot of how, sh how a shop works and functions, I owe it all to Galpin. All that knowledge comes from Galpin. Um, and I left. Uh, the reason why I left working there, because a lot of people were like, oh, why'd you leave? You know, it's such a cool place to work. You get to do this all the time. You get to go to SEMA. You get to work with all these people. I met a lot of celebrities. Um, I met Exhibit, you know, all the, all the MTV people and whatnot. But the reason why I left was because I felt capped out. Uh, I couldn't get any more money based on my job position. It was either you become a manager or like a higher up and you get salary, that kind of money. Mm -hmm. You don't end up building cars anymore. And I was still young. I was like 24. How was I going to be a manager? You know, no way. All it's all older people. So there was no way. I, I was looking ahead. There was no way for me to make any more money than I am now. I want more in my life. So I decided to quit and start my own rap business. I invested in the same GraphTech plotter, the big giant one, it was like $8,000. I had it in my dad's garage and I started wrapping cars out of my dad's garage. Like from homies, they would hear. Um, I partnered up with another homie. Um, he had like a good following at the time. So he would post a lot of stuff on Instagram and like that's how I get work. It would be wrapping work, vinyl wrapping work, um, installs, you know, any kind of stuff. I had tools and whatnot. And um, it was a struggling period, even though like, oh, oh, that, that's great. You know, you try to start your own job, start your own business and whatnot. I felt a lot of pressure from my parents. Because they're like, they didn't see where this was going to go. They're like, well, it just seems like you're going to just become a regular shop. And you're just going to make regular shop money, you know, fixing people's cars and doing this type of stuff. And I argued with them. I said, no, no, no. There's money in it to be made. Look at all these people spending money on their cars and whatnot. So there is huge pressure on me to be successful, you know, in what I was doing. Um... You know, a couple months passed. I had jobs. I had people's cars. I did a lot of cars. Um, but again, it got to, I felt the same way as I was feeling at Galpin. Man, I'm tired. I don't think I could do this forever. Like work on cars all the time. And like, you only get paid so much still. You know, you can only get paid as much as you work. I'm like, there's no way I can 
you know, survive off of this and buy the things that I want like this. So I ended up thinking like, how do you make money that's not labor money? Okay, the next thing is parts, right? Selling parts or developing parts that haven't been developed so you can grab that market and you can be that guy to start making cool, innovative parts. So I stopped working on cars and I was talking to my mom and talking to my dad. I was like, hey, look, I want to start parts. I want to start doing these parts things. And at the time, remember how like eBay and China, getting parts from China, and there's this whole thing like, oh, don't buy your stuff from China because the parts suck. And then there was Taiwan that was making pretty decent stuff at the time, mm -hmm. a little bit better than uh, China, but it doesn't break your bank like the Japanese parts do. Yep. And it's still the case today, for sure. And it's still the case. Yep. So I kind of took it upon my Taiwan roots, because that's where my family's from. And I went to my mom and my dad and I said, hey, do we know anyone, do, we, do you guys have any friends in Taiwan that's doing like car stuff? Like manufacturing, you know, factories, I want to get into it. And my mom has this childhood friend, her husband started making, has a, a he manufactures reproduction American car parts. So there's a company called Dynacorn USA down in Oxnard. Um, their catalog is all American muscle parts, like just OEM trim pieces that you know Ford doesn't make anymore. They make it, and so he started this like back in the '90s, and they're still making stuff today. And so my mom called them, and was like, "Hey, my son wants to do this. He doesn't know what he wants to do, but..." He wants to get into this and whatnot. So, you know, being family friend, he was like, why don't you fly him out here? And I'll give him a tour of my factory and like of all the stuff that we do and make. So then I got kind of like an intro. That was like my first like glimpse into manufacturing. We learned it in college, mm -hmm. but I never actually kind of got a chance to go to a place that was doing it for like cars and whatnot. So I flew to Taiwan by myself, oh no, with my mom. And you know, she has set up all these things all around Taiwan to go see this person, go see that person, see this uncle, see that uncle that does this, that does that, to try to get me like focused on what I really wanted to do. And um, after this whole Taiwan trip, I was like, Okay, I met a friend. I well, his son was kind of like in my same shoes. Um, he, his dad wants him to take over the company, but he didn't want to. So he wanted to do his own car parts brand too. So us two got talking, and we started compressive tuning in 2015 and that was uh, a Subaru parts company. Uh, the reason why we started that was because when I was in Taiwan 
he had introduced me to this sh shop owner that built really good STIs. And he was a really good carbon fiber fabricator. Like he did one-off um, carbon fiber parts, like intake boxes, ITB boxes and stuff like that. And uh, he, I went to his shop and I was like, dang, you do really good work. He showed me all his like cars and whatnot. And we started talking. And I told him, I was telling him about the American market, about how, man, like, it's hard to get good parts. You know, everyone's fishing for parts in Japan. Um, takes long, uh, parts are expensive. And, you know, I wanna, I wanna be the guy that's able to offer stuff affordable, but still good quality. And that's why I focused in on Taiwan, was because the pricing wasn't too bad and I had connections there. So I had started compressive tuning. The shop, on, the shop owner there in Taiwan was really close to D2 racing. You know, D2 racing. Mm -hmm. And they ended up private labeling a lot of our parts. So they put compressive tuning on their coilovers. Like it was our box, but their, their coilovers. Um, their brakes, but our logo on it. So that's, that's what those brakes are. No, that makes a lot of sense now. Okay, I'm sneaky with it. Yeah, I never told anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's how kind of, um, so we started the Subaru Parts Company and that's why we got I had bought the Forester mm -hmm. and I had the the Hyper Blue STI at the time. That was and, and that was when the the new generation WRXs came out. Yeah. And that's why we tried to jump onto that platform. Mm -hmm. It was really hot, by the way. It oh, was like yeah, it's still hot. Huge you know, platform. They don't stop making parts. And that's why, that was why I was like, let me take this opportunity mm -hmm. to get into the market with this car. So I had rounded up a, uh, two partners in Taiwan, me here in the United States, and I brought along another friend here in Omani. And us four started compressive tuning and we were um, bringing parts in and we were trying to develop parts. It was a slow process in the beginning. Um, we invested about a quarter million dollars in product, uh, just buying the cars and stuff like that, getting them all ready for shows, because we were, we were ramping up for SubiFest. Mm -hmm. We actually came out 2018 SubiFest in Santa Anita. That was our first time coming out. And um, long story short, it did okay. Uh, we had good traction. Subi, Subi Speed picked us up um, some of our parts. Uh, I developed the hood for the Forester and all those other parts that you see on there. Um, and we were going along, but internally there were some issues between me and everybody. Um, and so in the end, I decided to walk away just like how I did with the CRX um, 
and just walk away debt-free. I said, look, things are taking too long from Taiwan's side. You're not giving me the full picture. I'm starting to get cold feet and suspicious and whatnot. I'm gonna call it. So I, I gave up my shares to walk away debt-free. Um, and I, I mean, they're still going. Compressor Tuning is still a brand. They still sell some uh, stuff here and there, but I'm not part of it anymore. Um, hence why at the time when I left, that was like 2019, I had gotten rid of the Hyper Blue STI. And um, I was back to square one, essentially. All these years, you know, going to high school, graduating college, galping, rap, starting my rap business, and then the compressive tuning business. You know, it was just, nothing was, just didn't feel, it just didn't feel right. Um, something was missing. I wanted more. Um, I wouldn't essentially say call them, I wouldn't really call them failures. I would just say, uh, it just didn't really work out the way I expected it to. Mm. And so before I spent any more energy and time into it, I wanted to call it and pursue something else. Uh, so I did, 2019, I left Compressor Tuning, um, sold the Hyper Blue, and I was like, you know what? Let me, let me keep the Forester because I like the car. And um, I had started Niku Motors, which is my own, like just by myself, nobody around, by myself, selling all the stuff that I developed for the Forester. Now, yeah, I mean, I know there might be like, oh, some people say, well, aren't you kind of just like competing with your old compressive tuning because, you know, like they screwed you or whatever. And yes, the answer is yes. I felt like my work wasn't appreciated all the time that I had spent. And so I'm going to do it myself, essentially. So it was a struggle. Um, I didn't, I had to move all my stuff out of the warehouse. I had just moved into a smaller apartment. So I downsized. I literally downsized. I had car parts everywhere. Oh, and at the time, I totally forgot. The S2000, uh, before I picked up compressive tuning, the S2000 was my daily. Mm. So before, oh, I didn't even get to how I got the S2000, sorry. Yeah. I skipped all that. Well, let's, let's go to the S2000. Yeah, we'll go to the S2000. So, yeah, yeah. rewind a little bit. Um, I was talking about my career, because mm -hmm. that's so like, all I talk about now is just like my career. No, it's big, especially with the investment that you make in your yeah, education. Yeah, so that's kind yeah. of where my mind always gravitates toward is mm -hmm. like business, you know? Um, but yeah, the S2000, so Galpin Autosports, uh, I had the Scion TC, I didn't have the S2000 yet. One day, I was just driving around the valley, any other day, uh, it, was, it was an afternoon, like bright. A car comes out of nowhere and T-bones me on the passenger side and sends me. I was going like 40 miles per hour. Like she just came out of nowhere, boom. 
And instead of flying, I spin twice. It was near CSUN. I was near CSUN. And I suddenly flying and like, I go across two lanes, I hit like another car and I end up like, like what the hell just happened? And um, go out of the car and like, I'm like, well that's it, the car's toast. Like airbags deployed, like I'm fine. The car's toast, like everyone's like looking and I'm like, what the hell? Like, I, where did this car like, I didn't even see it, you know, cause I'm going straight. And I guess she turns like right when I passed her, she clipped the, the rear end of my car. Anyways, the car got totaled. Um, and at the time, I actually wasn't even living at home with my parents. I was living at my girlfriend's house. And I didn't even tell my dad that the car got totaled. Um, and it was at the shop and I told, him, I told the shop, I was like, yeah, just write it up, total it out. I'm gonna remove all of my parts off of it. So I, I basically returned it back to stock, parted it out, and um, insurance gave me a check of like, it was like 10 Gs, dude. It wasn't even that much for the car. It was like 10,000 bucks. And uh, I was like, man, what am I gonna get? And well, the first thing on my mind was this car. I was like, S2000, it's time to get the car that I really, really wanted. But the NSX at the time was a possibility. I was like, damn, should I get an NSX or should I get an S2000? And uh, NSXs at the time were, at the time you could find like a high mileage 1990 for around 20, 25. I remember seeing it in, um the magazines that would come out, the used cars that you would get in your mail. Like I would see some NSXs in there and I was like, 30 grand, man. Yeah, yeah, like high mileage, yeah, like yeah, yeah. 20s and a decent one, like 30-ish. And you got the super low model ones, are like 40. S2000s at the time were like 15, like 10, 15, 20. 25 for a pretty low mileage one. And I was talking to my girlfriend, oh, by the way, which I had really bad credit because um, remember how I said about the credit cards? Yeah. yeah. So the credit cards, I was like, yeah, I just spent a gang of money. Just spent money I didn't have, couldn't pay it back, ruined my credit. And I couldn't even get like a credit card at Macy's, dude. That's how bad it was. So I was like, shit. I don't want like another like project car, you know? I don't want to take this 10 G's and get like an old Civic. I don't want like a prelude. I want like a car, dude. So I was like, damn, man. So I was talking to my, my girlfriend at the time. Um, and I was like, hey, can you help co-sign a car for me? Cause like, I knew if I went to my dad and asked him to co-sign, for like an S2000 or NSX, obviously they're gonna say no. Like, what 23, four year old is gonna need an NSX or an S2000, man? You're not old enough for that. Make enough money and then buy it out. So I begged my girlfriend at the time, I was like, hey, please, come on, like, come on, just, just co-sign with me. Cause she had pretty decent credit.
So she caved and she was like, all right, go find the car. So 30 G's was too much for that time. So I was like, damn, I don't think I could get the NSX. I actually had called some listings and I had went to see some NSXs and I tried to talk them down to like 25 and they wouldn't budge. I think the lowest I got one down to was like, the one I wanted was like 27 or something. And I just didn't have that extra money and I knew my parents wouldn't have said yes to like lending me the money. Cause they're like, dude, you owe credit cards already. Like how are you supposed to pay for this? So I found, I found a 2008 GPW on red, 45,000 miles at a Chevy dealership in San Diego. It was like a listing online, Bob Baker Chevy. And this was like months of searching. Like I have been searching for like three months already. I have not had a car for three months. Like I had my girlfriend drop me off to work and stuff and whatnot. So I didn't have a car. And she's like, dude, you need to get a car. Like I can't keep sharing a car with you, man. This is not good. So I was like, no, no, I found it. I found it. I found the car. So I called. They're like, yes, we still have the car. Um, would you like to come down and take a look at it? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll come down this day. So I told my girlfriend, I was like, hey, we're not going to drive another car down there. She's like, what do you mean? How are you going to get there? Was it Uber back then? What year yeah. was it? 2012? It might have been... Just the beginning. Just the beginning. Yeah. Because I know I didn't have it in college. Yeah. And there were times I fucking needed it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Especially in San Diego. Yeah. So it was like 2012. I was like, hey, I need a... She was like, how are you going to get there, dude? I was like, check it out. We're going to take the train. The coaster? She was like, what? Yes, we're going to drive to Union Station and we're going to take, it was, I think it was Amtrak. Oh, no, no, it was, it was, uh, what was the other one? Metrolink. Metrolink, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to take Metrolink. We're going to take, go to the nearest train station. I mapped it out. I Google mapped it. I mapped it out. So the nearest train station next to the Chevy dealership in San Diego was a mile away. And she's like, so what are you going to do after that? I was like, we're going to walk. So you're crazy. Ha! We did that. We drove to Union Station, took the train. I had brought my notebook. I had brought a flashlight. And I had brought like a backpack. A uh, flashlight? I brought a flashlight because I had brought notes on what I wanted to inspect on the car. Oh, my God. I was on S2KI.com. I had done all my research. I had looked at all the things to look for, all the VIN numbers, everything. So got off the train, walked to the dealership. 30 minutes and it was already like 4 p.m. by the time we got there and they're like yeah come and check the car I had spent like I test drove the car and then I was like yes I want it I did all this section and I sat in the room for like four hours it was like eight nine o'clock negotiating how much I wanted to buy the car for and figuring out how I was gonna pay for it my credit was bad eventually Dude, I got the car for 22000 out the door. 
but my interest rate was 25%. 25%? Jesus, man. I'd never seen anyone get in the 20s. Oh, my God. 25%. It, it was either... It was either like 15 or 25. It was some ridiculous ass it's, number. Yeah, I mean, above 10. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So, uh, got it to some crazy interest rate, drove it off the lot, and drove it home. Literally, I told, I told her I wasn't gonna go home without this car. Cause it was a 2008 GPW on red. They only made like 150 or so of them and brought them to the States. And so, it was like my prized possession. And I remember driving on the freeway home. We were stuck in traffic. I didn't even know how to put the top down. I had to Google it like on my phone. And like, I was like, oh, that's how you do it. I was like, why won't it? I had put the latches up and everything. I was like, why won't it go down? I didn't know the e-brake had to be up. Oh. <laughs> I was like, they sold me a broken car. I mean, I see how. How happy were you on the drive home? It was... I was probably the happiest of my life at that time. I don't think I was any happier up until that point. Because um, it was like the first car I could say it was mine. Mm -hmm. Even though I had my, my girlfriend at the time sign for it, co-sign. But it was like mine. Like I paid for it. I paid the insurance. Like it was like my baby. And uh, honestly, I didn't have any major plans for the car because it was such a hard to find S2000 spec that I was just going to keep it stock body. I was going to do, you know, stuff that was reversible, uh, mods that were reversible. Unfortunately, one, one day when I was driving, I had gone into an accident. I, uh, some guy turned in front of me. Uh, at, a, at a light, he turned left right in front of me. And I had just clipped him. And this whole, this corner got smashed in. Like it peeled. Luckily my car was low enough, but yeah. this fender got peeled. The up. passenger, wow, really. I'm yeah, it like peeled like this and like the hood was crushed. Luckily, the windshield was still okay. Like it was, it wasn't that bad. But they, so first accident with S two. I was crying. I was on the street, like on the floor, crying, and I was screaming. I was like, "How did you not see? Like, how could you turn in front of me and all this stuff?" And uh, anyways, take the car to the body shop, go through insurance. Luckily at the time, I kind of knew someone at DTM Auto Body. And that was my first kind of experience getting my car worked on in the 626 in, in El Monte area. And so I had given them the S2000 and they were like, hey, well, since, you know, insurance job, you want a different hood? You want a different bumper? It's DTM. That's how it starts. You want a new radiator? I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I got a Voltex bumper. Uh, this is the same hood, actually. Um, and I got a bunch of other goodies for it. And that's kind of where it started. So I was like, great. Well, now the car doesn't have 10, 10 out of 10 matching VIN. Let's go wild. 
it can't kind of gave me the green light to go wild with it. And so when the flares first started coming out, I hopped on it. I bought one of the first authentic CG flare sets for this car. And uh, I had gone and molded back in like 2013, 2013, 2014, 15 was like the molded wide body. It was like back then people were only cutting and bolting. Mm -hmm. Rivnuts. I molded my flares on. And that was the first one anyone had ever done that with those flares on an S2000. Uh, and then... And then I started compressive tuning. When I started compressive tuning, I picked up the other STI and the Forester. That's how I got into Subarus. I've always liked Subarus too because I had a friend that has Subarus. And while I was building Hondas, he was building his Subaru. I helped him with his car. So I always liked Subarus. Uh, from daily driving this car with the wide body and all that stuff, it had gotten really ruined. Like the flare started cracking from bottoming out and mm -hmm. all this stuff. And, you know, I didn't do the work. And when you don't do the work, there's stuff like you got to go back and forth. Like, oh, you got to clearance this. There was no time for that. I was like a working kid, you know. So the car kind of got into some rough shape from daily driving. And when I had started compressive tuning, we had a shop. And so that's when I essentially put the S2 on jack stands. And it sat on stands for about two and a half years. Um, and I had cut the rear quarters out that I had molded, like with the air saw. So it was naked. The car was naked nothing on it and I was like okay it's gonna be one of those things where I'm gonna like slowly restore buy OEM parts for it and make it new again so as I was doing compressive tuning I was working on this like after hours in the shop you know on the weekends I would work on this car with the other one of my other homies that did body and paint and we literally did this together ourselves yeah, it's impressive. It was impressive yeah. when I saw it for sure. Yeah, I, I started collecting parts. Um, literally, how I build cars is I don't really do like kits. Uh, even though they're cool, I like I like kits, like, you know, buy a whole kit for the car and, and all that. But I kind of always had my own way of building stuff, my own vision. And I like certain aspects of certain parts. So I'll piece it together and try to blend it together to make it a whole thing. So the front's a sorcery bumper, the sides are J's, J's fenders, but widened even more. The rears are um, 7S Garage, a local, a local person makes those. The hardtop's a Mugen hardtop. The trunk's an Azuka trunk, which they don't even make anymore. And I molded a custom duckbill to it. Well, that was like our own design. Um, and yeah, so that's how the whole body came about. Um, so second wide body on the car, and I decided to repaint it to the Subaru Crystal White Pearl, because I really like that color. Uh, the GPW felt a little flat to me. And since I did like all this wide body stuff, I was like, let's, let's make it pop a little bit more. Let's put a little bit more. Keep it, keep it white, but add some pearl into it. So that's, that's how... Um, that's how the S2 came about. 
I blew its motor back in 2011, before wide body, before all that stuff. The motor blew from uh, racing. Street racing? Street racing. I was driving to Angeles Crest uh, on the 118 to the 210. It was like 2 a.m. And uh, I had gotten a call. Well, I was at Angeles Crest that night with my friends. And it was getting late. I had worked in this day, so I had left to go home back to the valley. Um, I, had, I thought all of my friends had come down. I got a call midway home. Hey, one of our homies didn't come down. I said, what? I literally turned around and I was driving. I topped out six gear, 150 miles per hour for like five minutes straight on the 210 in, in the S2 and I threw, spun a rod bearing to go find my friend that went off the cliff. He went off the cliff. He flew like 500 feet and they, it was a whole thing. We were up all night. We searched like with flat, our flashlights. We called highway patrol. A helicopter came and airlifted him out. It was a crazy night. That was the night I blew my engine in my car. Anyways, me being me, I was like, I'm not gonna just rebuild it to stock specs. It's a 2.4 with a K24 crankshaft, custom rods, built head, AM infinity. It makes 260 to the wheels, like 200 torque, all motor. So it's a pretty beastly car for, for, for what it is. But yeah, that was, that's pretty much like the S2000. Uh, it's been with me for 10 years. Um, you won't get rid of it. Funny, funny you say that. Last week, if you asked me that question, I would have told you, no, I wouldn't get rid of it. But since my dad was just here, I was talking about like careers because, you know, getting older. I might sell it to start a boba shop. It's just one of those things where it's like, it's not as important as it was to me. It's hard to kind of put it, after buying the Type R, it kind of, technology's nice, I have to say. You know, working on cars all these years, and like, I really love cars. Like, I still really want an RX-7. I still really want a lot of old cars. Um, but seeing as how like, you know, we're growing up, and like, I I do want kids. I want a family. I want to buy a house. Mm -hmm. I don't always want to live in a condo. There are just some things that you should sacrifice, or to kind of achieve those other new goals that you have. When I was nine years old, I really, really wanted the S2000. I obtained it at 22, 23 years old. I would never think of getting rid of it, but it's gone to that point where if someone wants to buy it, I don't mind selling it. Um, after buying the Type R, I realized that 
technology really makes things drive a lot better. Don't get me wrong, the S2000 is a great driver's car. Still really raw. Dude, the Type R drives so nice. Oh, yeah, the differences in driving a new car versus old, especially a 90s car to a 2020s car, huge leaps and bounds for sure. And the comfort, the comfort, especially when it's not modified yet, comfort, big deal. The, the Type R, it doesn't feel like a sports car when you first drive it. It's just, you know, oh, it's a nice, comfortable sedan. But when you really ring, ring it out, it's amazing. It really transforms into, into an actual sports car. Um, now, a lot of people will disagree with me or whatever, saying that, like, oh, how could you say that about the S2000 and whatnot? Don't get me wrong, the S2000 is great, dude. Like, I still love driving it. It just doesn't compare to a new, a new car, though. Um, I mean, even if you're talking about, like, the Subaru Force, uh, Foresters and the STI, uh, the Forester, if you were to ask me which would you rather drive uh, at the track, or just, like, on a daily basis, I would drive the Forester over the STI, to be honest. Just because, like, the STI is, like, it's kind of old, actually. Um, the, the V8 kind of got old for me. Like, that's kind of why I sold it over the Forester. Because it's like, well, I think there's room for a new, new, new car, new technology. I want to try something out. So I kind of want to got that one. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess... The question I would ask to, to close everything out is, do you see yourself, even if you sell the 2000, do you see yourself doing this car thing for the long period? Or do you think at some point your priorities are going to say, it's just going to be a car? Uh, I still think I'll still do it. Like modding, because we're talking about modding cars. Uh, yeah, I'll still mod cars. Um, I don't think that I will ever take it as far as I did with the S2000 um, in terms of like body work and going full out, you know, on jack stands like for months. Um, as I get older, I have friends that have like Porsches. Um, and don't get me wrong, they've, they've, they've started with Hondas too, just like me. But they've, actually sold their Hondas like that, that they've invested copious amounts of money into it just like we have mm -hmm. and they couldn't be happier with their Porsche or BMW or whatever they have now and to be honest they have houses um, and they have kids and they're married and stuff like that not saying that this stuff has held me back but I've just invested a lot of time and energy into it to where cars was my life. Like cars, like this was my life day in, day out. This was like my girlfriend. Like my S2000 was like the thing that I sought comfort in, you know? When I had a bad day, you rip around in this and I, it was all smiles, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, but now I find a lot of happiness and enjoyment in other things besides cars. 
And uh, it's kind of a little struggle for me because it's like, oh, am I really giving up my hobby? It's not really giving up. I think I'm just exploring other things that I like doing that I didn't know I enjoyed. And it's almost a stress reliever, stress reliever to be honest, because, you know, as I'm still kind of working on some projects here and there, uh, sometimes I do get a little bit stressed about it, you know, like, Oh yeah, we've been there. Why is this not working? You know, or, oh crap, like this thing went bad or like, I got to redo it or like, it kind of takes up a little bit more energy from you than I would like. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I find myself stressing out more than I like to about the project than actually enjoying, enjoying it for what it is. And so I try to step back now and try not to always think about what am I going to mod on the car or what parts am I going to look for? Mm -hmm. And it's more just stepping back and enjoying, enjoying it more as a hobby, you know? Um, I did track a lot. I still track here and there. Um, it's a good way to kind of get out of the whole show scene. Uh, Cause the show scene kind of, you kind of get engrossed into it. And like, it's like keeping the car really nice. And, uh, um, a lot of like, who's got more money and, and then you go to the show and you're like, oh, I spent all this time making this, but then someone just went out and bought the most expensive thing. And how come they get more attention, you know? And it's just like, well, your efforts are kind of like overlooked. So that's why I kind of stopped showing car, going to car shows and started tracking more again. It's because I got to see like the, the stuff that I did functioning on the track. Uh, even though they kind of break sometimes, you kind of gotta, like fix it again and whatnot. It's all part of the process. Um, it's all part of the hobby. But I can safe, safe to say though, as I get older, um, the priorities and focuses do shift. Uh, but I have met a lot of friends through cars. Uh, I'm still not going to stop it. I'm still going to do it. And in fact, as I'm, uh, well, I still even talk about what I'm doing now. What I'm doing now is 3D scanning. Mm -hmm. That actually came from Niku Motors and me starting my own parts business. And uh, I found a need for 3D scanning through my day job, which is uh, staging and production. So yeah, I go on a bunch of tangents, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I just have so much to talk about. Yeah, and I think it's this is a good introduction to you, and I appreciate you taking the time because there's definitely more to tell. I mean, from there is so much. Right? I have so much to say, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, there's just so much. But I'm glad I mean, people have got to know you a little bit. But I'm, I'm always happy to come and sit down and do this again. So I appreciate you taking. The yeah, time. it's no. been good. We've learned a lot about each other that we didn't know yeah. before, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I go on a lot of tangents, I, I like speed through things because um, there's just so much that I've learned, you know, gained experience-wise, yep. and I like to share what I've learned through through working on cars because it's, it's not really just working on cars, you know? Yeah. It's a lot of other stuff. Well, let's say one, to close it out, one lesson that you could tell people, someone starting, one thing you could tell someone starting this, 
that you feel would have been valuable for you to know when you were younger? Oh, man. Don't dump all your hard-earned money into your car. Go slowly um, and observe first. Don't put yourself in a hole. That's, that's, it was really hard to get out. Um, yeah, that's, that's really number one. That's awesome. Yeah, I think people have to hear that and remind themselves, maybe even put it up on their garage wall. Yeah. Yeah. You know, back then, it, nowadays they make it really easy for you to buy stuff, right? Put it on Snap Financing. Mm -hmm. Put it on a firm, right? Pay it over a couple months. Next thing you know, what, turned, what started as enjoyment and a hobby will soon turn to stress and you know you'll start learning that well, I'm spending a lot of my time and energy for my car but not for my life now I think that's really the number one takeaway no, definitely man well thanks Jonathan we'll talk again for sure we'll talk again for sure